0: This podcast is sponsored by Sound Devices. For nearly two decades, the Sound Devices team has remained true to the spirit of creative innovations and its original goal of providing top-notch, superb quality products that help audio professionals capture the clearest, most enjoyable media in the world. To find out more, visit sounddevices.com. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about your most recent work, La La Land, which is just so much excitement around this film. Before we start talking about La La Land, maybe just give a little background on your history as a sound mixer and just how you got to work on this project.
1: The quick version is I grew up uh, kind of moving around all over and at, when I was eight years old, we moved to California and I got to watch people making movies across the street at the local park. You know, they kind of used it for base camps or for shooting. And that's kind of where I said, okay, that's what I'm doing. You know, I was eight. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And um, at 11, we moved to Seattle, and I still had that interest. And so I kind of pursued it, made little short films, and and did whatever I could. Um, uh, went to a, a local community college, Bellevue Community College, at uh, 16 and a half, and started their video uh, courses there and quickly realized sound was the worst part of anything I made. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so I took, you know, sound classes to figure out what I could do to do it better. And I really fell in love with, uh, the process of getting good sound. And I started doing sound for other people's projects. And, um, one of the professors at that college had suggested that we all try to get a job on a local movie mm-hmm. and, you know, not ever having worked on an actual movie. I thought this would be great. Let me uh, let me see what they and in, in, in Seattle, this particular movie uh, where the air is cool and dark specifically asked for. Okay, we need somebody to do craft service, script supervisor, or boom operator. Oh, nice. And I thought, well, I know what craft service is. I don't know what a script supervisor is, but I can I can boom as I've been doing you know sound for people's projects. Yeah. Um, so I called and begged and and pleaded to work for free for the for the you know month and a half job it was. And they uh, eventually relented and gave me the job. So I uh, did that film and it basically ran the, uh, it rained the entire time we made that movie. Yeah. Yeah, And it was just, it was brutal. I mean, it, it was 35 inches of rain in the first five days of shooting. I mean, it was just nonstop rain. So everybody was miserable. I was miserable and I thought, I still love it. And if this is as bad as it gets, you know, sign me up so was
0: any of the production track used at all because of all the rain
1: um i believe a lot of it was used okay. Um, uh, but you know back then who who knows you know yeah, I, yeah, I, i'm yeah. not sure how many people actually saw the film <laughs> it was an independent movie made in washington state yeah
0: yeah so i mean yeah i mean i, I look and i see you, you have credits going back to even 94 which it looks like it was a was it more was it more feature or tv what was the the array of projects
1: well, kind of at the beginning, you know, you do whatever anybody's going to hire you on my <clears throat> after that film, I moved to I decided, OK, this is a great hobby in Seattle, but I have to move back to L.A. OK, so so at 18, I, I packed up, moved back to L.A. and did a free boom job and the mixer didn't show up. And so that was kind of my in for that moment going, oh, all right, well, here, let me take over for the day. And when he came back the next day, he said, oh, great, you covered me. This is great. Let me, uh, let me throw you some extra work, anything that I have, you know, and, and I thought this is perfect. You know, what do I charge you? You know, 50 yeah, yeah. bucks a day, <laughs> you know, so uh, $50 a day was my day rate for the first, you know, pretty much a year, Yeah. um, just to get the experience of doing it. And, uh, so back then it was probably a lot of independent features. I, I think the first six months I was in LA, I spent out in the desert, Okay. uh, because those were the type of movies that I was getting. And we would just, you know, sit out in the desert and make a movie for the summer, <laughs> Um, I joined the union and I got it. And actually I got a phone call and interviewed to, to do a pilot for Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the journey of Alan strange pilot. Okay. I did. I did that pilot. It was a five or six day pilot and halfway through it, they said, Hey, do we have a TV show? The secret world of Alex Mack? Do you want to take over the last season? Uh And so I mixed the last season of that, which was 13 episodes. And then journey of Alan strange came. And I think that went for 95-something episodes.
0: Yeah, I'm looking here at the credits. It seems that it was a pretty long run.
1: Yeah, and that, and that was great because, you know, essentially, I, I wasn't charging a lot for equipment. But I was I was taking every paycheck and kind of reinvesting it in the package of what I would, would yeah.
0: use. What, what was some of the gear that you were using at that time?
1: Um, well, when I first started, uh, I would rent from Wilcox Sound. Mm. You know, that was my, my go-to rental place. And... I remember. Let's see. I was using a Mackie mixing board. It was probably, I don't know, twelve oh two. Twelve oh two. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was my
0: first mixing too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it was. I mean, it's you know, Mackie is a great, great company. They, you know, I knew them from Seattle. That's where they were made. Yeah. And uh, and I started off with a Nagra. You know, I was always renting a Nagra, and I would rent a four sixteen and an eight sixteen. That was kind of that that go to. That was the basic basic package, right? Two mics, one long, one short, Mm -hmm. shorter shotgun, and then um. <clears throat> and then you would get some context, you know, a couple contexts to, to give out to directors. Yeah. When I bought my package, I decided I would go with, uh, with a DAT recorder. So I went HHB, um, I tried a, a PD four, but it, it had that PZM error light, <laughs> yeah. you know, that was built into the machine, which was fine. You know, yeah. I didn't quite understand it, but after the first couple months of running it, I thought this is, you know, I can't, yeah, not to slam Fostex, but I just no. couldn't run with it. So I switched to an HHB. Um, and my first set of radio mics, you know, that then, then I started going to coffee sound, uh, for my equipment. And, you know, my first set of radio mics, I think were Sony's Mm -hmm. that were not, not that great. Um, but they were affordable. And then once I finally was like, okay, I need to buy some real radio mics. I went and bought the audio limited, uh, quad box of, of radio mics Mm. Which were expensive at the time. I think it was a twenty-two thousand for four transmitters and receivers. You know, it was yeah. just pricey, but they would work. You know, football fields and right. through concrete walls, and uh, but that was all before HD. So
0: yeah, well, what do you remember in terms of kind of not only headroom dynamics and just the limitations of DAT or the early digital recording formats?
1: You well, know, the the funny thing is at the time it was it was genius. You know, because you were coming off of Nagra, which was a 30 minutes, you know, and you would have to sit there and panic when the reel started spinning fast at the end because you just, you know, you were hoping that the camera would roll out before you did. All right. Um, so I just remember that the HHB, you know, the, the DAT machines were nicer in the in the way that you could work on your everyday. You know, you pop in a 60 or 90 minute tape and you were good for, you know, quite a bit of a day the, I do remember it, you know, it, the the difference between analog and digital was noticeable, but it wasn't enough that, you know, in the end you're like, well, everything's going to be digitized in the mix anyway. So what's the big deal? Yeah. Looking back on it, you can see that now the hard drive recorders with 24 bit versus 16 bit, you know, it's much cleaner now than it was before. And it's really only, you know, I went to a, a, a workshop, I think that, that Zaxcom put on Mm -hmm. and kind of put up two recorders at the same time, hit record and then played them back on a speaker. And it it was day and night, right? But you know, that's one of those things where you compare it side by side and of course you can tell the difference, but you know, if I showed you a red card today and a week from now showed you the different variation of a red card, you'd probably think it's the same red card, but you know, it's only when you compare it side by side that you really notice. I mean, I'll probably get slammed for that, but, (laughs) um, but you know, I mean, now now you look at it, and since you're used to the 24 bit, you know, high quality sound that we have now, yeah. If you go back on DAT, I'm sure it's going to be just horrifically sounding bad. So, so I, I'm sure that it's you know, since you we've all had years and years of just digital recording that that you know, a 24 bit, we know what it's supposed to sound like.
0: I mean, you have some really remarkable projects throughout your career throughout the early 2000s. I, you know, I'm just seeing. A little Miss Sunshine. Thank you for smoking. Were there any pivotal projects that really established, you know, maybe a new directional, or have you always, because you have a great mixture of TV and live action and and you know film work?
1: Right. Well, I I always have. I've I have always wanted to make movies. Yeah. You know. So TV I enjoy making, but to me the the my passion is movies. Okay. I, I enjoy that process much better. Uh, some of the TV shows I've gotten to work on over the years have been great because they've been fantastic stories. Um, I see
0: big love is one, one. of Yeah,
1: big, big love was run like a feature that you yeah. could just tell a longer story, which was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I do a TV show now called casual. Mm-hmm. It's on Hulu. And that's a very similar vibe where it's uh, feature directors and, and things of that nature that come in and direct these shows. So to me, that that's interesting. Um, and that's kind of my passion is but but my passion is features yeah so the pivotal moment for me was actually producer so when when i was on the kid shows at nickelodeon Mm -hmm. the key grip uh who was a good friend said hey my brother-in-law is producing this little short film that's a freebie he's got no money but you know he's a good guy and he works and you should meet him and i said okay let me let me try it out and so i called him up and you know introduced myself and he said hey I'd like to hire you on this freebie it's a week I'm sorry I have no money I said that's fine and he goes if you get something else just let me know and you know I get it you got to make money And I said okay so hung up the phone and 10 minutes later of course I get a phone call for a free for a freebie mm-hmm. or, or or for a paid job mm-hmm. that overlaps the freebie so I said okay let me let me call it, let me call this producer back and let him know hey I got a a paid job sorry so I called him. I said, hey, I got this paid job. Oh, no problem. And if you can recommend <laughs> anybody, you know, just let me know. And, you know, this and that and the other. Okay, we'll have a good time. I'll, you know, nice meeting you. Hung up the phone. And as typical fashion, 10 minutes later, I get a phone call from the paid job. Hey, we just canceled. Never mind. Yeah. You know, so I. So then I'm sitting there in my apartment going, well, I just can't, you know, now I have no job. And, you know, I told the guy that if, if the job canceled, I'd call him and let him know. And now what do I do? you know, because part of me was wanting to, to meet new people in the other part of me was like, eh, I don't really want to work for free for a week, you know, Yeah. but I called him back and I said, Hey, look, uh, these guys just canceled. So I'm in, I'm all in. All right. So that project was a short film called Y2K, mm. mm-hmm. uh, with a producer, his name is Scott Putman and him and I ended up doing pretty much. There's, there's a way that if you look back on my career, you can almost connect any movie, any show that I've done to that, uh, short film, as strange as that is like, thank you for smoking. It was the location manager from that short film Mm -hmm. that was location manager on, um, on thank you for smoking who called me and said, Hey Steve, I got this young director. I think you'll get along with him. His name is Jason Raymond. He's Ivan Raymond's son. Mm. Send me a resume and I'll get you in here. And so sure enough, I did that. And it turns out that Jason and I actually worked together <clears throat> on a free spec commercial. <laughs> when, I w- when I was doing um, the HBO show Six Feet Under, he was a director's shadow. He came in and shadowed the directors. And, and he ended up just sitting next to me the whole time watching my monitors and getting a pair of headphones for me. And we just sat there and ch- chatted it up and <clears throat> was hired on a you know one-day spec job. And then four years later, that location manager said, hey, come do this um uh, You know, give me your resume and I'll get it into the right hands. And so, you know, the interview for that movie was essentially, you know, hey, how do I know you? I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, and by the time we figured out, it was like, all right, shook hands and left and got the call on the way home. Hey, you're hired. So
0: was that for, you uh, know, for for up in the air then? Was that one of the first ones you did or even before that?
1: Well, it was uh, Thank You for Smoking. Thank
0: you for smoking. It was okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. And then up in the air was the his. Well, his next one was Juno, which is Canada. Yep. And then the next one after that was Up in, uh, up in the Air, yep. uh, which we shot all over the country. And then Jason went to do, what was the next one? It was Young Adults. And that was New York City, okay. so I couldn't work in New York. Um, the one after that was, we did Labor Day together. And then he went and did, um, he he asked me to do the Men, Women, and Children in Austin, but I was booked on the James Brown get on up movie. And so I decided to do the music movie versus, you know, the heavier drama.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. I I see like an incredible pattern of kind of, you're able to straddle the world of feature films. Like I said, in TV Uh, for you, it looks like more recently you've been doing a lot. You have a string of feature films. How how was it that you came in contact then for La La Land with, with uh, Damien Chazelle, the director?
1: Well, here's the crazy part. So like I said, it all traces back to that one uh meeting. So Thank You for Smoking had the UPM was Michael Bug, mm-hmm. uh who happened to be executive producer on Lala Land. Okay. Uh Michael and I've done over the years, I don't know, maybe a, a half a dozen or a dozen movies together. We did uh, uh Little Miss Sunshine, and uh he was also the, the producer on Up in the Air mm-hmm. and Labor Day. So these are all patterns that we repeat with that same, same producer. Amazing. Right? So, so that's how we got on, uh, La La Land where Michael and I've worked together a bunch of times and said, Hey, you know, let me introduce you to Damien. Yep. And it also helped that, that Damien's movie whiplash was produced by Jason Reitman's, uh, executive producer, Helen, um, uh, Estabrook. Okay. So she, she produced uh, right Jason Reitman and Helen produced, uh, whiplash. Wow. And uh, so when it came time for him to do a musical and he was looking for a sound department, you know, I had just done uh, Get On Up, you know, yeah. which wasn't a successful film, but it was a musical nonetheless and had some technical parts of it.
0: And that was a very heavy kind of record because I think they were taking the band in the studio and then playing it back on set. Is that
1: right? Actually, James Brown film was mostly playback. It was playback. Okay. Um, because it was the original track. so. Right. They they did a great job in finding old archives of the original tracks because they, uh, rightly so, you know, it's hard to redo James Brown. No, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they they just decided, look, if we have good tracks for it, let's just get those tracks and, and use them as playback. So.
0: I, I, I think it was more of like an augmented track, I think, because I remember talking with the music editor at the time for that film, which I loved. And it was kind of, it was like a, a un- unique type of, I think, it, I don't think it's... Kurt Sobel, right? Right. Yeah. Kurt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a great guy. No, he he worked his butt off and and, you know, the more modern day stuff, he was able to find some good tracks. The right. older stuff, it was like they kind of had to recreate it. And have right, to exactly. To do it. Yeah. So for La La
0: Land, you know, when did you first get involved? What were some of the early conversations that you would even have with Damien then about about this film?
1: Well, essentially, uh, um, the the first conversation really was the interview. You know, I, I met with with him. Uh, music supervisor, the executive music uh, producer, and the composer, and the two producers uh, on the film. So, um, and that was actually the the, the greatest thing is the music supervisor and the music uh, executive live on my street. Oh and wow! Okay, a half a mile down, we didn't know each other, but Amazing. you know, it was like, hey, can we do this interview in Studio City? Sure. And then <laughs> they just happened to you know give me an address that was very similar to mine. Yeah. So, so I went there and it was, you know, it was an hour long, hour and a half long conversation about, okay, you know, we, we would like to do this musical. Obviously I read it in advance, so I knew what we were yeah. getting into. And the the goal initially was, look, we want to do as much live uh, recording as possible because we don't want this to feel like, you know, regular dialogue, dialogue and playback. You know, they, we want it to feel like it's just going into a song and they just start singing. <laughs> so there were, there were challenges on certain songs, like the very opening on the freeway. Well, th- those, you know, the, the people singing the music weren't necessarily the people dancing and lip syncing. Sure. beginning. And also we're on a freeway. Yeah. You know? So there's, there's going to be a limited amount of what, what can we record, you know, properly. So <clears throat> for those things, it was clear. It was just straight playback. And for other scenes, it was obvious that, you know, we want to do as much live. And even if it's playback, Let's interject some some lines in the song to be live. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for example, Emma Stone's uh, roommate song. You know where they're singing and dancing around the the the, the apartment. When anytime it's her line, it's all live. Okay. Anytime it's the roommates, they're just uh, lip syncing to the to the song. Um. So you get that feeling sometimes where it's oh well that that piece sounded live you know and that piece yeah. you know so you're trying to not confuse the audience but you're just trying to to immerse some better into the experience versus just like oh that sounds like that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> so, but how I that guess. yeah I
0: mean how did that affect you on set then how do you get an isolated solo or you know si- single take from Emma then without it-
1: right. So what we would do is, <clears throat> obviously, we rehearsed all day. Yeah. Uh, the day before we would shoot that scene. Um, the apartment is a real apartment in Koreatown, and um, we every every room of that apartment has a speaker, a, a playback speaker in it. So it was one of the bigger setups we had, just because we wanted to hear it crystal clear through the whole set versus just having one speaker blasting at him from fifty feet away. Right. Um. So we would we would essentially in the in the pro tool session we would just mute out the the music in that moment that she would sing and we would have my boom operator uh Craig Donder set up for those moments where he would just put the boom in get her song get her get her piece, her piece yeah. and then pull it out. Oh, wow. Um we also always had earwigs on us if they wanted, you know, on take I think it was take 19 they were like, "Okay, let's just do this one live." Yeah. You know, so we always had it ready to go in case because that was Damien's request, you know, we you know, we're we're always going to have a plan, but, you know, at the last minute, if we want to do it live, we just want to try it sometimes, yeah. you know, which is, is helpful for, you know, post-production because they can look at that thing and go, okay, this is what the room sounded like when they were live. This is how loud their shoes were. This is what the ground sounded like. You know, in those moments, we would give the, the actresses their earwigs and then they would do it live. And, you know, it was, it worked, but it didn't, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't what made it into the movie, obviously. So... Yeah. Um, but you know, the, and the actresses in that scene with their their dresses and things, they were always uh, we always had them radio mic'd. You know, they were a little confused, like, "Why are you micing me?" Well, that's okay, you know. <laughs> sure. And then all of a sudden, we pop in wigs and they do it live, and they go, "Oh, I got it." Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's how we you know attempted to accomplish those things. We just we just we knew we kind of had to be ready at all times. If there was an instrument on on set we would record it. You know, we would always have a mic on it, whether or not they would ever use it. You know, that wasn't for us to decide. It was more or less, let's just get them as much material as possible. They can always hit mute later if they want to, if they don't want to hear what we've given them. So the other thing, which is, is rare, I think, is that anytime you saw, um, music in the, well, for example, when you see Emma Stone and her boyfriend meeting the brother, and, and his wife in the restaurant and she hears the music mm-hmm. well in that scene we had an earwig in emma's ear we had the justin the composer with a digital keyboard off to the side you know and so he would actually play the music to her ear oh, nice. so that she could hear it and react to it versus just saying okay the music's playing you know yeah like some directors just say okay you hear the music <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you know you act it out she actually got to experience it and hear it but nobody else heard it. you know nobody else had earwigs nobody else we didn't play it through a speaker and then when she pops out of the restaurant, and runs down the sidewalk and down the street. Well, we had speakers running just for that. You know, even though it's not something she's, you know, in real life hearing, the director wanted to have that feeling and have that experience while filming it. You know, so that it wasn't just something we're going to add later and it'll be great. It's something you can experience while you're on set, and you know, and it makes more sense to everybody.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you is in terms of how much of um, Justin Hor- Horowitz's uh, music was locked. Do you feel like everything that ended up in the film was it completed by the time you guys started shooting?
1: It was. In fact, the I mean, his music is is beautiful. Yeah. You know, and they they actually cut some of it. the The roommate song, uh, once they leave the apartment, you know, and you see her in the mirror, they actually continue the camera shot. You know, what we filmed, they can't. They continue out the window downstairs on a crane they follow the, the the roommates all throughout this entire courtyard it's probably a hundred foot run 150 feet while they're singing and dancing and windmills are spinning and you know yeah. fountains <laughs> are spraying water and things it's a very musical moment and then they end on the street and they whip pan back and then she's ready for the party well so we obviously cut that yeah. middle chunk so you know obviously the music changed um in post-production but on set pretty much it wasn't, there was nothing new, you know, other than when you hear it in the movie, that's actual, uh, live orchestra, you know, uh, you know, 26 piece live orchestra Yeah. versus on set. Uh, it was, you know, all the digital and, you know, kind of all the temp stuff that you would do, you wouldn't hire an orchestra to give you a good temp track. So, uh, but the music pretty much stayed exactly the same. Um, Other than that concept, yeah. Yeah.
0: And what did you find in terms of for a lot of Ryan Gosling's um, performances, especially like the first time you see him play the theme uh, in the club? How did you guys manage? Because all all I hear is you know Ryan was taking piano lessons for months and to you know to get get the performance right down. How did you guys manage his performances then?
1: Well, we, for the most part. Honestly, a lot of his was playback on the piano. Okay, he could play. The, he could play the music yep. for sure. Um, the hard part is when you're moving pianos around, uh, location <laughs> sure. to location, they they get detuned. Uh, we had a piano guy there that would tune them up the best he could. But we we always mic the piano so that we could hear what he was playing versus what the track was playing. Okay, um, but we would have speakers behind him, kind of doing the playback track for him. Uh, there was only a couple times where the actual live piano was was played in 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 this and i think that was at the very end in seb's uh club Mm -hmm. uh that when he's checking the piano for tune you know that was that was live and at the very end when he's playing the real slow chords and it's just heartbreaking and you're getting crushed as an audience yeah that part was live as well like the actual piano but the rest of it was pretty much the playback and pre-records but he learned it all. He could play it all, but it was one of those things that you couldn't. I mean, I think smartly. So, why necessi- Why hinge that shot on a uh, miss? You know, miss note if it, if that happens. So,
0: yeah. One of the big um, kind of set pieces is this: the city of stars into the planetarium, which kind of takes you in from the Griffith Observatory exterior mm-hmm. through the interior. Which w- once it's on the interior, you start getting into more of like this hyper-real kind of green screen flying moment, right. but how did you guys, uh, early conversations, how did you guys plot it out? I'm sure rehearsals was a big part of it, but how did you manage at least the sound capture end?
1: Well, on that end of it, I mean, if you really look at that, the planetarium, it was all playback, right? Okay. They would dance in the planetarium, so that was that was all real Griffith Park, all real planetarium until you got inside the, well, all, all real observatory until you got inside the planetarium, and then we built that on stage yeah. with flying rigs, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, sound wise, that was more of a music playback. Um, you know, and when it came down to the, to the blue screen portions of it, um, we just, you know, you just do a standard playback on that. And that was kind of what that was because there wasn't much sound capturing. It was more just... Let's provide them a track to dance to.
0: Sure. And I think something that happens a lot, especially around uh, award season, when films starting to get acknowledged, big uh, musical films, I think of Chicago, when, when they start promoting these films is saying, well, these were really sung by our actors. These these were all, right. you know, real performances. What was the early conversations that you and Damien and Justin had about the best way to approach this, obviously with your experience? And I mean, was it similar? Or was it different in terms of how you guys wanted to approach these
1: performances? Well, I think... I think... Uh, I'm not sure how he wanted to approach on Whiplash. I wasn't there, right? So, yeah. um, so that that's a hard one. But I know the original conversations was we would like to get everything li- as much live as possible, mm-hmm. with the knowledge that you know they said obviously the traffic jam scene. There's certain scenes that just aren't. Uh, we just can't capture live, but we would like to try to get as much as live as possible. So, our goal as the sound department was okay. Let's let's just pretend we're going to get everything live. And how would we do that so that if on take three or on take 30, he could say, let's do this one live. And it wouldn't be a 40 minute redo for us. We would say, okay, you know, and just hit mute on some speakers and pass out some earwigs and call it a day. You yeah. know, that, that was kind of our, <clears throat> our goal, you know, at least in the sound department for Wowland La La was, you know, let's not let them wait on us because there's, it's a bigger picture, right? It's a big musical that is not done for, a huge amount of money and, and you have, you have a spare amount of time and we want to be the, you know, we, we want to not be a weak link in it. We want to just have them, you know, we're always going to be ready. So, yeah. um, that was kind of our goal there. There were times, you know, if you look at the eighties party, um, you know, where Ryan's in his eighties outfit and there's yeah, yeah. the, uh, the characters singing and, the you cover know, and yeah. Right, yeah. The cover band and, and he's incredible you know and his pre they pre-recorded all that and he sounds incredible it was funny you know and then we me and uh the music supervisor and, and music producer I'm like let's just have him do it live can we have him do it live because <laughs> yeah because his performance you know it's a, essentially a wedding singer you know like why not just have that live and so you know we set it up to have it live and then said hey do you want to try this live and the guy's like yeah let's do it you know <laughs> and then that's how that you know became you know live and it was a better performance cuz it you know he was incredible i mean his pre-record was similar to the performance that he had that was really kind of cheesy and supposed to be that way but you know it's just much more entertaining when the guy can do it live and accomplish it and, and a similar thing happened at the um the messengers uh, concert right the concert scene that was that was our biggest record every instrument on stage uh was recorded uh, the horns were recorded, the backup singers, everything was recorded. So I think we were running thirty I think it was thirty tracks, thirty-two tracks somewhere in there on that on that. And and we had we had a pre-record for everything and it was it was mostly playback that whole day. But we had um John Legend sing three takes live. Oh nice. And they used uh you know, I I think in the end they used twenty percent of his live vocal from that, uh for the the final song at some point there was 80 percent of it but uh you know uh, damien got used to a certain sound and so we they went back to that sound but but you know they they had the option of using it and i think the horns in that song were used that we recorded you know so like certain instruments were used and who would know you know so you just had to be prepared for everything i mean even if they deleted 29 of the 32 tracks they still use three of them so
0: yeah what, what did you find? Are, are those actors who can play or are they musicians who can act?
1: Those are, <clears throat> well, let's see, it was, mostly it was, you had to have real musicians that could act, essentially, because, you know, especially for the, Damien and the music people, you know, they get real specific with yeah, yeah. the look. You know, they'll know if they hit the symbol in the wrong spot, which is, you know, Crazy for non music people to look at, and you're know, like, wow, really? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, There's yeah, anybody yeah. gonna notice? But they yeah. noticed, and so they wanted to make sure that that was as accurate as possible so that we have great musicians that could also act. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was what that was.
0: Was there a lot of footage, performances, or otherwise that was shot that then didn't make into the final film?
1: Yeah, I think um, most of the, I would say the majority of all the songs made it. Um, I know that at I know, like I said, the uh, roommate song was cut in half. Okay. Um, so them leaving their apartment and then them getting to the uh, party. The party was cut in half. There was a longer song there. Um, you know, that I think that was edited for story, you know, to, to move the story along versus yep. having a, you know, a twice as long uh, mm-hmm. music number. But... Everything else, anything else that was cut wasn't necessarily music, it was more story. Like at the engagement party, there was a scene between him and his sister that, you know, was a walk and talk through the party, right? which obviously didn't make it, and there was um, similar scenes throughout the movie that, you know, that they just cut for, for timing. I think at one point, um, the traffic jam was cut from the movie.
0: Right, I remember hearing uh, an interview with Damien saying that, that I was like, yeah. how How did the film start then? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine it, you know, started without the the, the number and probably just her sitting there in her car and right. honking his horn, you know, things like that, but I yeah. I didn't I've never seen that cut. Yeah. You know, I'm happy that I'm happy it made it. Um but yeah, there was a moment where I think they were thinking of cutting it, so.
0: So, for a film like this, I'm just looking at the soundtrack. There's about 46 minutes of song. What changes when it comes to the gear that you bring on a gig like this versus other types of projects that aren't so musical heavy. What are some of the considerations that you're you're thinking about?
1: Well, so on this film, uh, we switched to the Sound Devices 970 to have a lot more channels, right? Uh, recording channels. Originally, it started out uh, that the music department wanted up to 16 tracks being recorded. So, the I had a Mackie 1604. I think it was 1604. Mm-hmm. and that has 16 inputs and you know you could do uh, direct out 16 direct out. So that was that was going to cover it. Um and so I bought a Red Net 2 uh, analog to dante converter and went into the recorder's that way. Then we had another meeting where they said, "Okay, we would like to try to do, you know, all the music anytime there's music or or the band, we would like to do all that live as well. We want to just rep- have it ready to record." And I said, "Okay." So we started counting up the instruments and the track counts and it went up to about 30 tracks mm-hmm. and and this was a, a, a few weeks before we started shooting and i thought okay how do i do 30 tracks oh wait a minute the the 970 has eight analog in the other i have two 970s one is a master one is a backup the other 970 has a eight analog in so there's 16 cuz you can digitize eight send it to one digitize the other eight send it back yeah and then also now you have 32 tracks of of you know, audio. So that's, that's how we got that. But, you know, to add those extra 16 tracks, I added another uh 1604 on top of my cart, Okay. which, which I didn't, you know, it, it sounds like a lot, but you don't actually have to mix it, right? You just right. have to have signal coming in and, and pre-record. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to mix the final film there live on set. So I just have to give them the yeah. raw material. Okay. Uh, so that became a little bit, bit easier to, to manage knowing that, okay, this is just basically an input board. Um, speaker wise, you know, on the tech scouts, Damien, you know, this is our first time working together. He says, you know, sound apartments never make it loud enough for me. I just want it loud. You know? And I said, okay, challenge accepted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the, the very first thing we filmed was the, um, the roommates song. Uh, we had a data set up, uh, to to practice and see what Steadicam was going to do, where their shots were. And, uh and then we, you know, we had that data set up and get ready. And and then we shot the, the, essentially we had, I don't know, five hours to set it all up. Then we rehearsed all day. And then the next day we filmed the scene. And after the first, uh, you know, after the first half of the day, you know, we were all going down the elevator together. And I looked at Damien and said, loud enough for you? He goes, oh, yeah.
0: What did you end up using for playback?
1: Well, we had, uh, mostly it was um, uh, JBL... Uh, eon twelves the twelve okay um we had a a half a dozen of those we had a a handful of the electro voice i think they're twelves as well mm-hmm. uh and then uh and then some j b l fifteen the eon fifteens um but you know it d- d- depended i mean the the traffic jam was our biggest uh speaker count we had a speaker behind every other car wow uh, on both sides of the freeway. How did you wire that? We uh, hardlined it actually. We yeah. ran the, uh, the Power in the XLRs between the cars underneath them. Yeah, um, so not on the side either side But just in the middle of the car down the whole row uh, If you look at the shots, you really can't see between the cars. You can only see you know between each lane, right? So that's kind of how we and, and you know We knew which shot there was three different big shots to set up for so you just you know accordingly moved them accordingly but we figured out on the freeway that, you know, we had put one speaker down, you know, you'd hit play, you'd walk away 10 feet and it was gone. Yeah. You know, There's just no, there was nowhere for it to bounce it, it off, because off. It was yeah. just yeah. So we, we just added and added and added, so. For
0: something like that, how, how much time did you even have? I remember hearing that it was kind of a mad scramble with shutting down a freeway is not easy. So how much time did well, you what, have?
1: what we had, which was, uh, you know, production was very smart. To spend the money that they spent on rehearsals and practice um, so the weekend before we actually shot the scene they gave us the freeway from midnight until noon on so midnight Friday night until noon on Saturday yeah and we loaded in around 4 in the morning you know transportation brought up all the cars load them in and around 4 in the morning we got there uh, the Sun came up around five thirty or 6 if I can remember right yeah. so we had about an hour and a half to set up for the first and, and it was just going to be rehearsal okay. we wanted to rehearse the, there's three different shots in that sequence uh that are hidden by the whip pans right. right yeah and um so we wanted to rehearse all three shots we only ended up rehearsing the first one that's all we got to okay um so the rehearsal kind of set production up to know like look we need a little bit more time to set things up before yeah. the sunrise <laughs> um it also helped us going okay we need more speakers you know there were certain things that. You know, because we had a lot. We always had a lot, but we had to bring. We brought more. You know, for the actual shoot day.
0: How many do you think it was so, in the end?
1: Oh, I'm gonna guess anywhere from eighteen to twenty-four, well, somewhere okay. in there. Because yeah, it's, it, it's a
0: pretty good area that they are covering. That the camera is moving throughout. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and we would move them around. You know, like we had a speaker in the back of that blue truck. You know, for the guys, we had we had speakers at the beginning of the shot when they're going from car to car to car. We had a speaker in each car that had its own. Track of playback so that when you got to them, they were actually singing their version of it, uh, versus just you know, you know, because that we the timing was different each time going past each car, so they, they just oh, have yeah. their playback going the whole time.
0: You know? I, I'm just wondering if it, did you guys ever have a consideration of just broadcasting it over a, like a, a short wave type of radio?
1: We actually we actually did broadcast it. Uh, we had we had an FM transmitter that broadcast, but the the we had that going quite a bit throughout but the problem was the car's batteries would die if the radios were on all day <laughs> yeah. so we pretty much didn't do that uh it worked for a little bit uh you know in the end when they're in traffic and they're like ah, let's just go to dinner instead of this sink. that was you know fm transmits all the extras to start and stop so stop and stop. okay but, cool um but yeah the freeway it was just the you know it was a hundred and something degrees on the freeway that day it was just never gonna work but huh. um so yeah, so that was the so anyway. So we were better prepared the weekend, the following weekend when we came back. I think we had a three a.m. call, okay, um, to set everything up, and and they were able to get everything that they they needed to get. Yeah,
0: you know, obviously, it's one of the, it's one of those moments you're like, all my experience is going to come to this point. If whether or not it works out, will we'll be determined at, at the end of the day.
1: Right, right. Yeah, there's there's nothing you can do other than. Uh, you know, you succeed or you fail, and if you fail, that's that's not going to be good. <laughs>
0: um, what what can you say? Also, just going back to the recording here, when I, when I think about, had do you used the um, Sound Devices nine seventy before?
1: Well, I so I I'm a I'm a Sound Devices guy. I started out with a seven four four. I had two of them for Little Miss Sunshine to get all the the dialogue in the car. Yeah. Um. Uh. Then I switched to a seven eight eight to two of those for Fame. Uh, the re the remake of that just for the track count, um, and that's pretty much what I sat on for the next you know few years up until um, La La Land. So I I got the 970s. I, I like to I like to not buy the gear for that show. I like to buy it and then use it for a few shows before, or at least as much time lead time as I have. Sure. Um, so that I'm comfortable with it on the day when it really matters that we have 32 tracks. So. So I, I bought that probably for the first season of Casual is what I used the 970 on. And then once Casual's over, that's when we went and did uh uh Lala Land. So okay. uh like currently right now I, I purchased a new mixer, uh the Midas M32R. And I'm using that uh his, his funny enough on Labyrinth, but on Casual Season Three. After Casual, we're gonna do uh, a Star is born uh Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga movie that they want everything live uh the band the band and all their singing no matter what is going to be live a true um,
0: performance I like approach. a true performance yeah,
1: yeah. so we're going to so we needed the instead of having two different boards and to you know just a, a bunch of stuff the the M32 will have 32 inputs and 16 outs and we'll be able to do a bunch of kind of, kind of fun mixes for the live stuff there
0: what else is on your, like, what is are some of the other staples that are on your cart then?
1: Um, well, I have uh, four uh, venues, four, uh, two venue, uh, the original venues, and then two venue twos. Um, I always have a, a contact base station just for earwigs, it's always set up and ready. Uh, and then just a regular contact for, um, you know, directors. And then we have three, three separate IFB lines uh one for the for the boom guys private line uh one for you know if we want to do it's actually uh it's just a uh 411 not a 411 for what's the, the belt pack transmitter oh, that f- you can switch you can switch to iFB the electrosonics, but anyway we have that in case we need to do a wireless speaker uh so you can just run a speaker out with a receiver on it and plug it in anywhere and that's a quick fix if you know something comes up or if you have to be mobile um uh, with the speaker. Uh, and then we have another set of, uh, uh, electro IFBs so, so that we can give it to a director or to somebody else who's queuing or, you know, anything like that. Um, but that's basically, that's the basic bag, you know, a mixer and a couple of recorders. <laughs> um, yeah. A
0: little, a little bit of everything just for any kind of unexpected or expected yeah, we situation.
1: Have, yeah, exactly. On the, on the truck, we have, uh, four, um, you know, rock and roll cases that have drawers in them and and they're just filled with everything, you know, FM transmitters and, and, you know, a dozen earwigs. And, you know, it's just, we pretty much have slowly gained gear throughout the years. So, you know, we have a full music recording package after La La Land because, you know, instead of renting all the mics for every single scene, we decided let's buy all the stuff, have it always ready. And then if they change their mind at the last second, we have it,
0: Yeah. What do you end up using for um, a lot of your lavalier, your wireless packs, for microphones?
1: Uh, right now, we're on the SSMs from Electrosonic And I like uh, Sankin, the, the COS-11s. That's kind of our, our go-to mic. Uh, we also have uh, B6s. If you have, you know, an actor in a tight uh, button shirt, you can kind of poke, poke the uh, mic through a buttonhole. Uh, that works out well. Um, but yeah, mostly COS elevens and, and the SSMs.
0: For you, I mean, do you, I mean, besides kind of like whether you're on a studio on a studio situation or out, you know, dealing with external noise, do you have a preference of? Because always, you know, everyone wants the coverage. They want to have the boom in there. They want to have the lav. Do you ever find that you you are somewhat limited in terms of what you can use for coverage, or do you feel like you you have been able to always kind of negotiate to get in both wireless and well.
1: The- Uh, We're the way I work is, is I have my own version of my, my work so that the, the film we're on now, we have, um, anywhere from two to four cameras and we don't necessarily rehearse the scene in the morning. So it's, you know, we set up, we get ready, we radio mic, all the actors because there's just no rehearsal. Yeah. And we try to boom what we can boom, but typically there's going to be one camera that's wide, one camera that's tight, and then they'll reverse it, right? You know, the tight camera goes wide, the wide camera goes tight, you know, and they just – and they're, they're doing the best they can as, as operators trying to get the scene as well because nobody knows what's going to happen. So in those scenarios, you know, you, you pick and choose your battles, um, you know, when, when the radio mics sound good and, and everything is good in that direction. And, and you know, obviously, the, you know, maybe the boom sounds 10% better you know, it's not worth the battle. In in the end, it's still usable. It's still going to make it to the theater and still going to sound good. Uh, You know, post-production is really good at sweetening up things that are a little, not as great as, you know, you would like them to be. So, you know, you kind of have to lean on that um, sometimes and let them do their job. So, you know, uh, we try to, I would say, stay as unintrusive as possible to the process, you know, to make it as fast as, as we can. But if there's Things that are obviously wrong, or that uh, it's going to impact the film in the end in a negative way, we speak up and make sure we fix it and get it get it working right. Um, but I would say that the the our biggest go to is you know be invisible. You know, if you if you pick every every battle and every fight, then eventually you just you, they they t- tone you out so that when something really important happens, you don't get heard. Uh, whereas we like to work it where if there's something really wrong. And we say it, they all go, "Oh, we never say anything wrong, okay, let's <laughs> fix it." you know so that's yeah kind of how we've been for you know me and my boom operator have been for sixteen years that way, yeah, um you just pick and choose the right battle, you know because they don't have to everybody at least in this part of our career, everybody respects everybody, and if you say there's something wrong, they say, "How can we fix it?" you know
0: yeah well and you' uh Craig Dollinger, right.
1: That's right. Yep.
0: What is it about your guys' collaboration? Why is it that you guys work so well together? And obviously, there's a shorthand now working that long together. But how do you describe your guys' collaboration?
1: Oh, it's like husband and wife. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, we've worked together for so many years. And we're both uh, similar in our approach and our attitude. And we just have a good time working together. Yeah. Um, and we try to, you know, we both want to just do the best job we can do. And, um,
0: and there is a shorthand,
1: you know, you get to, to, uh, I've been very fortunate that, that to have the amount of work that keeps both of us working so that we don't get off track. Cause sometimes, you know, you work with a guy and then, you know, oh, sorry, I got five months off, but yeah, you know, boom, boom, people can jump around a little bit easier than the mixers. Right. So, um, but we've been very lucky to be able to work together for years. So there is definitely a shorthand. We'll look at each other, you know, in the rehearsal and we'll just, you know, get some finger you know gestures and then (laughs) not the not the bad ones but we'll we'll just cue each other and we'll go oh yeah we know it you know so like on the movie we're on now we just know that we're going to radio mic the the cast and then see what we can get you know yesterday was a perfect example we have a a guy in a holding cell being interrogated and you know it's three cameras outside the cell going in circles and obviously you can't get a boom in there because they see everything and then you know the one guy grabs a shirt and rips it open and it's just sounds like junk and you just go, what can we do? You know, you just, you wait for the opportunity. Then the cameras go in the cell with them and shoot it. And then we boom everything. And we also track the radio mic so that, you know, post can, can kind of mix a flavor in there if they, if they need to. and And then you get it and you're like, all right, sweet. So you don't, stress about the things you just have zero control over. There's nothing you can do. You know, you can't play on a mic, you can't do anything, so you just go, okay, for that moment it's going to sound like crap for this wide shot and then they'll get in there and (laughs) odds are that's what they'll use anyway is the coverage.
0: Yeah. I guess looking back, if you were to give yourself some advice when you were first starting out, what would you have told yourself or wanted yourself to maybe have known?
1: Um, hmm, that's a a great question. (laughs) I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to equipment, my, the thing that I've wasted money on is, you know, you you go, okay, I really need the electrosonic stuff, but I can't afford it. So I'm going to buy the Sony's. You end up spending that money anyway on electros eventually. So that's, it's a tough one to suggest to people to spend the money in the right, but it's just spend the money in the right places where you're not going to have to replace it, you know, a year later because it just doesn't work. Right. Uh, There's, there's things that are fine. If you're doing a, you know, home video at your house But if you're on a set and all of a sudden you know you can't go ten feet away from the receiver, that's a problem. Yeah. Um. So I I definitely did that throughout my early stages of the career. Just bought stuff that I eventually replaced. Yeah. Um.
0: And that's a that's a good point because I do get asked sometimes like, hey, should I get X versus Z? And I think a lot of times it comes down to well, I can get something because I'm starting off as cheaper, but then I can see well, why don't you spend the money now and something that's going to last. For a long time, I think we're technology-wise, digital's right. kind of shown that it's it hasn't plateaued, but it's definitely
1: right. How much better are you going to get, right. and how much is it going to, you know? But yeah, no, you want to buy the stuff that's going to last because it's an investment that you make money on, you know, that they rent from you. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's tough to spend, you know, six grand on a on a, a sound devices recorder when you can buy it from Zoom for what, two grand for the same amount of track counts. But sure. the difference is which one's going to work in the snow and the rain and the heat over the next 10 years. Mm. You know, that's, that's yeah. to be said we, we don't know.
0: So <laughs> What do you find in terms of when you talk with other, I mean, everyone has their own approach. Like obviously you and Craig have your own type of working relationship in history, but what do you find when you do go out to the world and you see what other people are doing? Do you find, or even if you go to sh- shows where they're showing new equipment, do you find that you're the type of person as Someone who is interested in kind of the next new thing or other tech, other ways that people go about it, or do you feel like
1: all the secrets are out? Um, I go on waves, I'd say. Um, in the last, you know, year and a half, we've been on the let's purchase the new stuff wave. Um, but no, I mean, everybody has their own style and everybody has their own way of working, and, and it really comes down to whatever you whatever's the most comfortable for you that gets the job done is the right way to do it. Okay. It kind of doesn't it doesn't matter if you have the newest fanciest equipment or, you know, it's just are you doing a good job with the gear that you have? You know, my 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 thing about technology is I I want something that's not going to if I fail at my job, I don't want it to be the equipment's fault.
2: Mm.
1: Because that's the worst thing. There's not you can't control it. You know, if I fail, I want it just to be because I didn't do a good job, not yeah, because yeah. the equipment just stopped working. So I kind of approach it that way, um, you know. And also I, I look at certain things like, um, you know, there's only a handful of things that the producers touch or the actors touch. And those things should be nicer for them because they're the ones that are giving you the job, you know. So we get the ni- nicer radio mics for the actors because that's the only physical interaction that the actors have with sound equipment, you know. And uh, make sure the the comtech sound good and they have new pouches versus dirty old ratty, you know, ratty <laughs> things. Because that's the only thing that they're interacting with sound-wise, yeah. you know, physically on set. So they want to feel good about whatever rental you've figured out from them. And, and those those items, you know, to even just get new contact pouches are fairly inexpensive when it comes to perception. So,
0: Spend a little money on some <laughs> cloth.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, put your best foot forward. Yeah. Know?
0: Well, fantastic, Steve. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your insight about Lala La Land. I, I just looking at your credits, it looks like you're, you're you have a packed year coming out. With you said, uh, Labyrinth is something that you're currently working on, and Chips is coming out pretty soon. And you have Insidious yeah. Chapter Four, and this Untitled Cloverfield Anthology movie, and A Star Is Born. How many projects do you find you can fit it in a calendar year?
1: Well, it's uh, you know the the short version is as many as possible. Yeah. You know, we only we only get paid for when we work. <laughs> Uh um yeah, I mean, like, this year, what do we have? We'll have the last half of Labyrinth, we'll do Casual, we'll do uh, A Star is Born, and then we'll still have six months left, so wow. uh, we'll see what happens after that.
0: Exciting, and for people who want to keep a, keep a track, is there a website, any social media for, uh...
1: Um, I don't have a website, necessarily, okay. I have, uh, uh, Instagram, which is uh, Maro Sound, uh, is the handle there, but, Great. uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm always accessible. You know, there's Facebook and, you know, if there's ever questions, I'm always happy to, to answer because, you know, how else do you learn? No, nobody nobody necessarily teaches it correctly in school, yeah, production sound life. <laughs> so, you know, we can always learn off of each other. And that's, that's I think that's the best way, you know, just as a community to learn from each other and from our own experiences.
0: I love that insight. And I think it's just, it shows when it comes to this amazing story of how you, how La La Land ended up in your lap, which was something that was over
1: 15 years ago maybe yeah yeah easily? yeah it's just all uh, yeah easily yeah i mean it's yeah 15 16 17 years ago it's you know it's all tr- you know it's hard to it's always hard to turn down something now because you go what if it's the next uh you know scott putman in my life where I, you know everything <laughs> connects to that to that interaction but it, it happens you know and then sometimes you do a ton of short films that never go anywhere so <laughs>
0: <laughs> well thank you steve it was a lot of fun
1: no thank you very much michael
0: Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to my chat with sound recordist Steve Morrow about his work on La La Land. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Sound Devices, for sponsoring this podcast series. For nearly two decades, the Sound Devices team has remained true to the spirit of creative innovations and its original goal of providing top-notch, superb quality products that help audio professionals capture the clearest most enjoyable media in the world. To find out more, visit sounddevices.com.